This is Post Studio Visit, a podcast from the Org Gallery Vancouver. My name is Jonah Gray. Every episode, I meet up with artists, writers, and curators in the places where they work to find out about their latest projects. For today's interview, artist Tegan Moore and I snuck into the sessional faculty office at Emily Carr University to find a quiet place to chat while she was in town visiting from her home in Ontario. Her exhibition, Subtraction Inventories, had just opened the night before at CSA Space above Pulp Fiction Books on Main Street. Incidentally, if you want to follow along with our conversation about some of the work in that show, there are some really nice install shots available at teganmoore.com. I first met Moore when she was studying towards a BFA from Emily Carr. Since then, she has completed an MFA at the University of Western Ontario in London and exhibited regularly, including a solo shows at MKG127 in 2014 and a joint exhibition this year with Liza Yurek at G Gallery, both in Toronto. In the sessional office, more or less abandoned for the summer, we set up the recorder amongst an array of desk chairs, bankers' boxes filled with old assignments, and scattered office supplies. Listening back to our conversation, this banal office setting seems oddly appropriate, given Moore's careful attention and deconstruction of the materials that make up these spaces. Against the hum of an air conditioning system we couldn't seem to escape, I asked her what she'd been up to lately. Uh, well, the, the latest thing I've been working on is a project for CSA space, um, just space in Vancouver, um, probably one of my favorite uh, art spaces in the city. Uh, I think it's really unique. Um, so uh, when I, I guess, started working on this show, I, I wanted to think about um, a bit of an imagined history of what what that space is and what it used to be. Uh, I believe it used to be a dentist's office. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, and I, 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 uh, I was told uh, a couple other things that used to be, but I don't remember. Um, but I was kind of thinking of, of it, its history as an office space, and also it being uh, located in a uh, existing, a num- sort of in between a number of existing office spaces. In a sense, it still um, seems to give off that aura, I guess. Um, and so, the initial project I I wanted to uh, to do there was kind of an extension of a, a number of installations I've been working on with drop ceilings, or sometimes they're called suspended ceilings. So if, if you're not familiar with this kind of ceiling, it's, it's basically a, a non-structural ceiling that is installed underneath the structural ceiling and, and, and basically is a convenient way to, to both cover up the like, plenum airspace of a, of a building, kind of the place where all of the electricity moves through it and um, air and, and uh, ventilation and things like that. Um, but it also provides like easy access to all of those systems. Um, so I, I was kind of interested in, in the drop ceiling because of some of those qualities. Um, so in this instance, I was uh, not working with an existing drop ceiling, but trying to make one 
myself. Uh, sort of just the basic bare bones structure of a, of a ceiling, but to make it in such a way that it would be structurally compromised, um, either it, in its construction, in its design, but also in its uh, in its uh, in the court over the course of the show, uh, kind of to test the the uh, ability of the material to hold itself up. Uh, so the the material is made out of the the T-bar structure is made out of uh, styrofoam, like a, a very light styrofoam. The whole thing probably weighs less than a pound, wow. but it's but it's about eight feet by sixteen feet. Um, and it looks like a kind of a giant lattice type thing almost. Yeah. Well, it, like how would, how would you describe it? Um, well, I'm using just the the kind of structural component of the drop ceiling. So just the T-bars with a sort of open, there's sort of an uh, openings in in the, in between the T-bars. So that, so it does sort of appear to be a lattice. In, or a big, it, like a grid, a big. Yeah. And I think it feels like a lattice because it's, it's also extre extremely fragile. Like a lattice isn't something you would ever use for structural means. Um, so yeah, lots of people have commented that either that it looks like a lattice or that it kind of reminds them of lace or um, other like really kind of fragile, very light things. Um, and maybe and it's also the placement too, right? Because it's mm -hmm. not is not like a regular drop ceiling in that it's like hung from the, or maybe I don't know how it's secured onto into the space, but it's well, typically a drop ceiling is. Um, it's uh, attached to the wall on on every side um, with an L-shaped um, piece of metal, and then there's a, there are a number of T-bars, and the the longer structural T-bars are held up by chains. Uh, so in this case, two sides are are held up by um, by the wall, and then the remaining sides are open and sort of cascading in uh, kind of downward so so part of the ceiling you you can stand under but but uh, you kind of have to walk around it and and then you can see it from above uh, because it kind of falls and actually this morning I went in and it had completely changed shape oh really so I, I tried to just uh, fix it to the wall again in a place where it seemed to already want to go and try not I, I just didn't want to force it back into the uh, the position it was in during the the reception so it may actually continue to change I'm not sure uh, right maybe there's even this kind break. of drooping sort of sagging structure that yeah um, and there are a number of um, sculptural elements that have been placed uh, more or less on top of or next to the, the structure. Um, but they themselves, like, ha there's sort of a condition because of the, because of the fragility of the structure itself, the condition for these, for these sculpt, these other sculptural elements is that they also, um, are extremely light, uh, and also very, because they're extremely light, they're also very delicate. Um, but anyway, um, 
that's sort of what I was starting with when I started thinking about this project. But I also wanted to, I also really was interested in trying to overlap a number of different kinds of gestures. Uh, and so I, there's three, three separate projects in this very small space that due to, I think, their close proximity, uh, kind of packed, they're all kind of packed in. Um, they, I think that they're, I, I hope that they're able to, to uh, speak to each other, I guess. Um, so the other kind of main, another main element of the show, um, the show's called Subtraction Inventories. Um, and so uh, one thing I was thinking about was CSA's space uh, has a, a wall with a window behind it, as many people know. Uh, but many people may also not know because they've, they've used the wall as a, I guess, as a way of providing another, another wall space. Um, but over the years, a number of ar artists' projects have used the wall, the window behind the wall as a mechanism for... Uh, for uh, work using natural light. Um, I think of your last show there, <laughs> yes. in particular, when it comes to that. Yes, uh, that was six years ago, and I think maybe That's was the crazy first... crazy six years ago. I think it was maybe the first project which used the wall, I, I think. Um, but since then, there, I think there have been a number of projects that, that have, um, in some form or another, involved making a cut either dramatic or not, in, in the wall. So uh, I guess um, before I came to, to Vancouver to, to install the show, I was really thinking about how the, in, the interior sort of structural components of the wall would appear. Um, and I was kind of imagining that they might, be, they might look really kind of messed up. Um, just because there's been so many people have cut through it so many times. Yes, um, and also because cutting through the wall really doesn't have any consequences because structurally, because it's not it's not a structural wall. It's just sort of a, um, a, just something that was done for I guess aesthetic purposes. Just basically a skin that's against the yeah. that's for stopping the light from coming out, and so you can attach yes. artworks to it. Yes. Um, so I suggested uh, to Stephen Tong, who's the curator, um, the idea of opening it up to, and and taking off uh, a section of a large section of the drywall, but leaving intact all of the the studs and the nogging, which kind of hold What's it nogging? together. What does that mean? Nogging nogging is just a term for. Uh, the, hor the horizontal braces between studs that you will often have to make when you install a window or you, you put something in a wall. Um, sometimes they're just there to keep the studs square. Um, so he was actually very open to the idea, I think, because the wall itself ha is becoming qu was becoming quite uh, kind of lumpy, I guess. Okay. Like, because so many projects, there are so many different patch jobs that overlapped each other. Uh, I think it was time for a reno anyway. <laughs> um, so um, I was also thinking a lot with this project about uh, a, 
a book I, I read recently called Subtraction by Keller Easterling. Uh, she's a she's an architect, but also um, mostly a writer and theorist who is um, really interested in the idea of subtraction as a as a kind of um, integral to uh, to a building to building practices. Uh, and what she's what she's she's talking about it in a number of contexts, but um, mostly she's talking about them in the context of a sh of various um, shrinking cities in in North America and and in, in Asia, where like there are a number of cities that are having rapid population decline, um, and. So she's she's interested in how we can think about building subtraction differently, uh, rather not to to uh, to wipe out a building and start with a blank slate, um, but but actually um, put the materials of the of a building back into the a material stream. Um, so she's talking a lot about um, deconstruction contractors. Uh, there's a there's a, a few a few companies in in the in the states, and she talks about one in Japan that actually um, deconstruct a building piece by piece and re reuse and re resell um, and recycle like 99 percent of the building. Um, she she mentions uh, uh, a way of uh, building a way of uh, deconstructing buildings in uh, in Japan where uh, this com this one company um, basically will put a, a skyscraper on stilts on the, it will put the first floor on stilts and remove everything on the first floor and then lower the building floor by floor removing materials. Um, Without ever having to really, um, well, uh, it's just sort of a way of, of being able to organize materials and and put them back into production, like uh, put them back into the into the the building uh, or the sort of world of, of addition and construction and, and design. And so, uh, yeah. So I, I guess I was kind of thinking about. Her um, her book a little bit with with this project because I I wanted to open up this cavity um, in order to see like the effects of of uh, of what was what has been there before what has been done with the wall over the years um, and and also to remove it in such to remove the material in such a way that um, that it can also be put back into into a cycle. Uh, so I, uh, so recycling all of the the materials that were taken out of the wall uh, was sort of an important part of that project. Um, and uh, yeah, and also was really thinking about having some kind of airflow in that space, which I always find it gets really stuffy in there. So I appreciated that at the opening. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I was sweating slightly, yet less than usual. Uh -huh. 
Um, yeah, I thought too that having some airflow might um, make the other sculpture, the, the ceiling, um, a little bit more vulnerable, uh, which it already is quite vulnerable. But in, uh, but I think uh, I think that they they as both both being open structures um, and both of them having structural components that are quite loose, like the, uh, I think I think Stephen compared the, the studs to loose teeth when we were taking the drywall off because they're really just hanging there by maybe a nail or half a screw or something. Um, yeah, so uh, so those those are two main aspects of the exhibition and, and there's another uh, project, it's a video work. Um, the video work is called Better Homes Diagrams. Uh, I worked on it a couple of years ago. It was the first first video work I've I've tried. Um, but I was at the time really looking for a new way of a, a kind of a new context, a different context for a sculptural thing or intervention. Uh, so so I uh, was at the time uh, kind of. I guess browsing the the engineering department's website at, at Western in, in London, Ontario, where I live, and they and I, f I came across this this place called um, the Insurance Research Lab for Better Homes, and so this was a uh, like a multi-million dollar project that um, that um, is basically a facility that. Um, use that like, tests uh, hur mostly wind and weather and uh, specifically hurricane style winds and their the their effects on buildings um, and it really is a facility that they found to be necessary because it's testing testing uh, during a hurricane like testing wind loads during a hurricane really isn't something that I think is possible. So this was like a controlled um, facility where they built a, a, a full-scale brick house inside a specialized steel enclosure, um, and they have a number of uh, of um, wind simulators that can simulate wind up to 200 kilometers per hour, and they through these wind simulators were were. For uh, for a number of months, tearing down the building as if a, hur a hurricane would. Um, so they they were simulating the exact place pressure sorry pr sorry sort of pressure points that would interact with a building, um, specifically a house. Uh, so they so they built this house and then tore it down in a very calculated kind of way where they. Uh, they were able to watch it all happen and record at which points the building failed and and why. So they're really looking at where materials fail, um, and that really interested me um, and was already a, uh, an interest in the way that I'm using materials and the kinds of qualities that I look for in 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 uh, when I'm trying to choose what to make something out of. Um, so I went. I went there for a tour and found out that it was kind of in a stagnant 
state. Uh, the project was over and, and it was kind of abandoned. There was a technician uh, kind of manning the, the facility and um, slowly taking the, the building down piece by piece um, by hand because I think they, they ran out, their budget ran out and they, <laughs> they were only able to afford to have him like work on taking the building down alone like two days a week. So um, this particular technician was really just fine with me just roaming around and taking materials and bringing them back and bringing my own things in. And, and uh, you know, um, it, be it became like, um, it kind of became a video just because of, I found that was, that was the only real way to, to like represent this space, like by documenting it and... Um, yeah. So in so in that scenario, uh, just I was really just very fluidly working with taking taking materials and uh, and working with them by reacting to what the space already was presenting, um, which was basically like a half torn down wall here and there and um, and broken windows and it really looks like. Uh, a house that's been through a hurricane, um, but it's inside this really con controlled space. Um, so, I guess that's the third element of the the show uh, in Vancouver now. Um, One thing that struck me about the piece that's up against the wall, that's sort of the the subtractive, um, just the studs there was, I guess, beyond the kind of material elements, and that's how you've been speaking about those other things, is act yeah. and, the, and the wind flow, was that all of a sudden you could also see the rest of the world yes. and the street and stuff like that, and there's something nice about it. And I ended up, it's funny, maybe it was just the way that everybody was in the space too, but I ended up looking out just at the street too for a good part of the time that I was there. And that seems like a big kind of like component of it. I mean, I'm assuming that, that is kind of like an intentional aspect of it as well. Well, I I think I feel uncomfortable in spaces that are completely like void of of an an outside context. Like, uh, yeah, something about the the wall that covers up the window really makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, well, and, uh, yeah, I guess there is something about that that seemed like, especially because in one way the the works are so concerned with materials on this almost like, you know, microscopic or kind of really sort of like, um, um, you know, this, this kind of like really kind of intense kind of like level of just the materials themselves, whether it's the, you know, the wood or the, the material that you've constructed the ceiling out of that there's something that's really nice then about kind of also opening that up into an interaction with kind of like this much larger scale of, um, and I guess like an environment or, and also a social space too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in, um, in, I guess the way that I guess the way that we um, feel 
the weather uh, essentially in a building. Like I'm interested in how it's how it's mitigated, how, like how it's led into a building and how it how it uh, kind of drives our our social interactions too. Um, like things like air conditioning, uh, heating and air conditioning, like and, and how how they. Um, I don't know. I guess how I think I think I'm interested in in uh, how invisible they are, but also really how integral they are to our uh, to our like social lives and uh, to just feeling feeling comfortable in our own space. Um, but it's also something that's designed not to. It's designed in such a way that we don't really have to think about it. That makes me, that instantly brings to mind, I spent a fair amount of time in Costa Rica over the past like decade now, and there I've always been struck by how permeable all of the structures are, like people's houses, people have like their, you know, what in all intents and purposes, like a living room on their, in outside, mm -hmm. or on the front porch, like instead of having like a veranda or a stoop or something, like you might have in Vancouver or in other parts of North America maybe just everything the inside is the outside and there's no and often people don't have like panes of glass in the windows and that kind of thing and it seems so different to me but I'm just just because we were talking earlier on about your work as a uh, doing renovations and that kind of thing it must also be really different between the west coast of Canada and and where you're living uh, yes, is that I, so? I I think it is. Yeah, when I lived in Vancouver, I think I left a window open year round. Um, but uh, I think I really started thinking about these systems when I moved to the East Coast or to Ontario because um, it's something we really depend on. And I think there's a, the, I, I think it's I I think what interests me about the about them is how we it changes the way that we think about weather like as something we need to be protected from uh, to so there's so many different mechanisms of of uh, protect of protecting yourself from the weather and often those mechanisms as well are are not visible um, there's something that you can feel. The result, the, the the result of the system is something that that uh, provides you with comfort. But I think the the whole idea with comfort is that you you don't really have to think about how it works. You, is that um, because the materials efface themselves, like they kind of hide themselves from view, or is it because of like just there's so many there's so many similar types of structures? Around that, we're just you, they just become normal and, and invisible in that way, or what's what do you? I guess what's your I, theory on that? Uh, well, I'm I'm quite driven by these using these particular materials that are are designed to be invisible, and so a lot of a lot of those materials I'm look the in the context of a building are materials that facilitate these these uh, the environmental conditions of the building uh, so um, so a lot of the things that I've I use like are 
something that we aren't con like materials we aren't really confronted with on a daily basis. I wouldn't really call them everyday materials. They're kind of uh, I don't know. They're they're uh, uh, someone at the show was 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 saying they're like really kind of low on in the hierarchy of. In, with the, in the hierarchy of materials, they're kind of low on the scale, like just sort of things that that aren't uh, something we'd really prefer to have to see or deal with in our daily lives, like um, like something like a furnace filter or uh, um, fiberglass insulation, uh, things like that. Um, that's funny too, in the way that you said that, and and even the the way that this person at the show you're talking about framed that as kind of like a hierarchy of materials, and it's funny that you said they're kind of not even everyday materials. That you know, there's something about um, in in sculpture and art about kind of like claiming things from everyday life and bringing them into the gallery that this seems like it's an interesting kind of fold in that where it's about things that are maybe their concern or like are in, in um, implicated in everyday life but are actually they don't even meet the threshold of yeah the, of being considered everyday materials yeah um, yeah no that that's sort of um, what this conversation ended up being about with Neil Campbell, who was the person who said that, but he also compared my use of materials to sort of having, sort of having like a fetish for these types of materials. And said, like, and, but I think that 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 came out of uh, um, what I think the reason why he brought that up is because most people. Uh, who have a fetish for certain kinds of objects. Uh, th they're kind of objects of desire in a certain way, things that, things that are luxurious or things that have, you know, really uh, spectacular surfaces or like materially like are, are higher on the value scale, whereas these materials really are, don't really fit into uh, a category of materials that that anyone you can imagine anyone being becoming really uh, obsessed with, I guess. Um, but I think there, I definitely do have an uh, obsession with these types of materials. It's quite like uh, I, it's something I can't get away from, I guess. Uh, and part of the obsession really too comes out of comes because there are there are materials that. You always can find. I I I always try to work out of a, out of a sort of material ethic. Try to work with materials that come out of that have already been discarded. That come out of the waste stream. Uh, so a lot of the materials in this show have come out of either uh, a dumpster or the Hudson River. A number of them come out of the river. Uh, some of them came out of the lake, um, Lake Huron and Lake Ontario. Um, and so there's, I think part of the obsession is, is, is uh, 
sort of comes from really wanting to take these materials out of the waste stream and put them put them on a different like give them give them a different purpose give them a purpose again I guess um, put them back into a material stream um, yeah and there's something about the way that you've done that at least in this show and in other other works of yours that I've seen which admittedly um, it's been a while since I've since I've um, you know at least been able to see them in per- your works in person but that sometimes when I think of artworks that are made with sort of like cultural detritus or like the sort of like things that are left over garbage etc that there's this way where where art there's a there's one kind of approach that seems to be about like emphasizing their uh, their status as garbage or like kind of like showing like huge accumulations of mm-hmm. them and and then there's some way where that then it doesn't even if you bring those materials into an art gallery let's say and so you're changing how changing their context and probably changing their meaning by doing that they still um they still kind of stay like there's something different going on anyways when you're talking about huge accumulations of of materials compared to the way that you work often in this really minimal or like you say sort of subtractive fashion can you speak to that in any way I know that wasn't very articulate um, I think I can speak a little bit to the form that the materials take um, because they aren't just I guess they aren't taken out of a, one context and put into another. Rather, they're taken out of one context, and then I put a lot of labor into them, like really, kind of as in an effort to transform them into uh, instead of just changing their context, to change them into a new thing, into a different thing. Um, and so the forms they become often become uh, often use they use like mechanisms of they lately they've been using mechanisms of display uh, but also using uh, sort of a, a feigned structural uh, design like something like a floor vent or uh, um, or a chain, or a yes, duct. Yes, I think I stepped on that thing that was like a floor vent, by the way, yesterday. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I, I heard someone stepped on that. But don't worry about it. Um, yeah. So they. So. Uh, so in a way, they. I, I think that they. They probably by just by just looking at them, they probably couldn't be traced back at it to. Uh, to their found position. Uh, just by looking at them, um, so I think it's more just a, it more just comes out of a material ethic that I have uh, that I don't I because these are materials that are that are in the waste stream. I feel like I can't I can't uh, um, I can't 
be a consumer of them. I, I don't. I, I have. A, I struggle with with purchasing these materials. I guess. Uh, so it just kind of becomes like a part of the part of my method to to try to find them. And um, does that does that um, gesture then, or that kind of approach, where you, or a method you just call that, where you're taking those materials and bringing them into the space, but you're also really kind of like deeply changing them or altering them. Is that for you about changing their meaning, or is meaning does meaning come into it? Um, Let me put that a different way, that because so much of, of the way that those materials work is through, like, space, you know, kind of maybe about sort of altering the way that we experience a space or something like that, that they aren't necessarily meaningful in the sense of, like, a, um, you know, other kind of, like, cultural texts or, um, or images or something like that. And so... I think sometimes too that I've noticed, and I'm, I'm um, that, that gesture of like taking something and move take, that is not art and putting it into a gallery and turning it into art then is about like changing the meaning of it. But in this case, maybe it's. Um, well, I think that I think the meaning definitely can change, but I I'm trying to I think I think what I'm trying to do with changing the way that I'm changing them is to kind of. Uh, make them f- sort of uh, further unrecognizable, like to kind of defamiliarize people with what what they are. Maybe just to create more of a curiosity, like um, a sort of. I, I would. I would. Uh, I'm interested in in people maybe really trying to figure out what these things are made out of, uh, like. One of the a, a number of the sculptural elements on this this uh, tea bar installation um, use uh, like an uh, an old car bumper the inside of a car bumper that I, I found kind of in the aftermath of a a crash in the middle of the road um, and I've, I see them fairly often after a crash they're not they're, they're for some reason maybe they're just this kind of debris isn't isn't cleaned up, or uh, when the when the cleanup crew cleans up cleans up a car crash. But I, uh, yeah, I uh, I found this car bumper, and I've, I often will see them like on kind of on the side of the road. Um, it's like it, it's it's not the bumper itself, but it, well, it's actually the mechanism inside the shell of the bumper. So it's like uh, usually a very dense foam, um, and it's often black. I'm not sure why, but um, I worked with the with this one bumper and made a number of things with it over a couple of years. But um, in the in the installation, there's a couple things: a small a small uh, piece that looks a bit like a piece of burnt toast. That's sticking out of it, and uh, a chain that holds it up is made out of slices of the thin slices of the bumper, and each slice has been hollowed out in order to make a, li- a link for a chain. Uh, so there, it, it's been 
Not only is the inside of a car bumper itself kind of an unfamiliar object, but I think it becomes even more unfamiliar. Like it's very, I think, very hard to trace it. Uh, but it becomes a like it. The, I think it becomes a really interesting. There's so many different like interesting shapes that it abstract shapes that it it can make. I guess, and I think maybe I'm interested in in taking these taking these materials even further out of uh, a familiar place. Uh, I think as I think in a way it can, as a way to to kind of challenge uh, their own invisibility like by kind of making them look more obscure, which I think would invite someone to to really wonder what it is uh, yeah and is that those kind of clues then that you're leaving if if they can even be called that? Is that is it important that people figure out what they are, or do you do you? Um, I mean, you're telling me right now, mm-hmm. and you're telling the listeners of this podcast exclusive information about <laughs> the origins of the materials. But are they um, like? Is there is there a list of materials in the in um, that exhibition, for example? Like, is it important that people know what they are, or is it more important that? people just like come to it and sort of like and kind of wonder about it and and sort of do their own detective work if they feel like they want to um i think most of the time i i really am interested in making those like making a list of materials available uh but in this case there is there really isn't any text in the show in the room so i i left it out but it, it was kind of something i i think i don't normally do so maybe that that's why I feel this need to to like express something about what these things are in in the context of a conversation I think I've probably talked about the car bumper like two or three times during the reception too like so I do have this desire for people to know what they are but um, but in this in in this case I, I I don't know I just didn't I, there were so many materials involved. I, I thought maybe I would, I, I would just let them be there, and uh, so it, it, it's all right if it's not discovered. What if people aren't making those discoveries, but they might be making other discoveries? I don't, I don't know. Do they come from here, or from, um, or do you do you travel back with with um, some of these materials from from Ontario, or where do they come from? The ones that are in the show. Uh, I traveled with all of the materials, um, except for the the large foam structure. Uh, I um, I worked with a, a props maker in in Vancouver to get those made. Um, and they are so because they're so thin and and uh, kind of minimal. Uh, they just were able to make them out of offcuts um, because they were working on these like twenty foot high columns. Um, so they they kind of we kind of had a had a an arrangement 
um, where, where the, I didn't have to purchase the materials because, or even, I think even the labor was not worth invoicing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so the, I, I uh, discovered this place because I, I was wandering around in Burnaby and uh, saw their dumpsters which were overflowing, like a number of dumpsters overflowing with huge pieces of styrofoam offcuts. Uh, so that led me to inquire about whether I could take some or uh, work with some. And uh, and they're very, they seem to they they're like super nice guys and are really willing to to uh, work with you. I, they seem to be really willing to work with. Uh, with me because I, I wasn't really asking them to to uh, do very much I guess like the they were they they, they custom made these strips which I then assembled in, uh, into the ceiling but I think it's all done through a through like a CNC hot wire Whoa. machine uh, so they just type in the dimensions uh, and how many and the, the machine will make it so uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty fascinating uh, piece of equipment. Actually. Yeah, that seems like way more high tech than I would have Im- imagined. Like looking at them too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it, it involved a lot of a lot of assembly after the fact, but um, but yeah, they because they were eight foot long strips. It wasn't something I was able to travel with. Um, and so yeah. those. Um, that I, I only asked, I guess, because um, you had mentioned like the space itself and kind of an interest in the in the the kind of history of that space. And so, yeah, I just was curious about whether you know, like, the provenance of the materials was was kind of caught up also in that interest in sort of like activating that history, or, or um, you know, whether that was important to gather materials from if there if there are materials that are like found materials that they come and and how they get to this this new location in the gallery um yeah i mean i think i i think when i when i first mentioned the wanting to work with the history of the space i i also I think I also mentioned that I, I, it was kind of an imagined history. Like I know, I know a little bit about it, but it's more that I uh, it wasn't a kind of archaeological thing. Like I wasn't trying to uncover certain things about that particular space necessarily, but really think about it, it as as it may have been an office in a string of offices. Like kind of just as a as a starting point for building a structure like that sort of what helped me figure out what form I wanted this thing to take and then and then went with the form of the drop ceiling which is kind of a ubiquitous like office feature of a feature of an office so um, yeah so I wasn't I wasn't really looking into the history of the space that much Um, but really kind of just using it as a jumping off point.
You've been listening to Post Studio Visit, a podcast produced to the Org Gallery Vancouver. As always, if you have any artists you'd like me to interview, please don't hesitate to hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Jonah underscore Gray, that's G-R-A-Y, or at Org Gallery. I can also be reached at discursive at orgallery.org. Also, just a note that post-studio visit would not be possible without the support of the Canada Council, the Government of BC, the City of Vancouver, the BC Arts Council, our members, donors, and volunteers. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.